Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. to try to um, uh, 
revitalize the middle class. But it, it, this is interesting that he stated this, and I have a, another article that he that he uh, mentioning his program. But he says, yes, the system is rigged. Today, the top one percent owns forty one point eight percent of all the financial wealth of America. The bottom sixty percent owns all of one point seven percent. The fact the top point one percent point one percent of Americans own almost as much wealth as the bottom 90% of the American people. Imagine that. Yeah, imagine that. 0.1% own 90%. Jeez. That's kind of a sick situation, mm-hmm. isn't it? All right. There's another thing. Is that this came up uh, recently. Now, here's a, here's a reason why we believe in unions, folks. Okay, it's because this is a... <coughs> Former Zillow employee says boss texted her penis, her penis photos, and company did nothing. Right? Uh, it's that's not <coughs> sexual harassment. I don't know what is. Right? But let's go on to just read this a little bit. Zillow, the massive real estate not a uh, company that is worth nearly five billion dollars and routinely furnishes the most prestigious media outlets and professional analysis of the housing market, is being sued by a former employee who alleges that her supervisor sent her a picture of his penis and other management personnel asked her for sexual favors on a recurring basis for months. Rachel Kremer worked at Zillow from June 2012 to past August when she says she was abruptly fired and asked to sign a confidentiality agreement. She attributes her failure to meet sales goals in in the in the two months prior to her termination to chronic sexual harassment at the hands of management employees, including her direct supervisor. The suit documents seven separate examples of harassing communication by text and email and alleges various other episodes of in-person harassment. In one case, Kremer's supervisor allegedly described a newly hired co-worker as racial but with bigger breasts and less miles on her. The same supervisor, Gabe Schmidt, allegedly texted a picture of his penis. I don't see where I moved that. Uh, Oh, I see it. A picture of his penis to Kramer, and on one occasion, and propositioned her for sexual favors in multiple other text messages that are printed in the full complaint. A Zillow, Zillow spokeswoman told Think Progress that Kremer's attorney's claims are inaccurate on two counts. First, the company says the management-level employee in question were not Kremer's direct supervisors, as the suit alleges. And second, the graphic penis picture Schmidt sent to Kremer was not of his own body, but rather an image he found on the Internet. Again, that doesn't excuse anything, she said, but it is another inaccuracy. The same spokesperson told the recorder that a sales staffer has been fired following the internal investigation of the allegation, but said the text documents in the suit do not reflect Zillow's culture or workplace. Yeah, right. Kramer's complaint, however, alleges that perceptions of the company as a sexually charged place with an adult frat house culture run all the way to the top of the org org chart. Uh, Privately... Zillow executives bragged that the office culture led to more sexual encounters than Match.com <laughs> and referred to the internal office directory as Zinder, named after the dating application Tinder. And Kremer's lawyers write in the complaint. That's what they wrote in the complaint. Yeah. Kremer's, Kremer's lurid allegations comes on the heels of a $5 million lawsuit against Zillow by former employees who say company management routinely routinely violated their labor rights by forcing them to work through meals and refusing to pay required overtime. An attorney with the firm that filed both those suits in Kremer's harassment complaint says he's gotten multiple other calls from company employees who say they faced retaliation for trying to push back against the company's workplace culture. The firm is seeking class action status for the labor rights cases filed in November. Workers have lodged similar complaints about bad working conditions and neglected labor rights at various other prominent technology-driven companies in recent years, suggesting 
that labor violations are common in startup culture. The sexual harassment allegations come with eye-grabbing details, but in a sense, the story is remarkable for how routine such ugliness is for women in a vast range of professional fields, in banking, in food service, in firefighting, in manufacturing, and even in Congress, women trying to do their jobs have to contend with male co-workers and bosses bent on sexualizing them amid permissive workplace cultures. Legally, the landscape for these women is getting thornier. A 2013 Supreme Court ruling charged change the definition of who qualifies as a supervisor, making it much harder to even get a sexual harassment case heard in court. Since that decision, 43 separate sexual harassment cases have been tossed out of the court because the defendant no longer qualified for the new definition of boss, according to the analysis the National Women's Law Center conducted for Think Progress. That's pretty scary. That's pretty sad, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, that's pretty damn sad. It says a spokeswoman. A spokesperson. Uh, yeah. Zillow provided this statement. Um, and what did they Zillow say? takes any allegations about our work environment uh, very seriously. When this allegation was first made, we immediately investigated these claims and as a result took quite um, quick action. We terminated a sales employee in our, in our Irvine office. The allegations in the complaint did not reflect Zillow's culture or workplace and are completely inconsistent with our values. We don't tolerate harassment of any kind. It's incredibly important to us to create and maintain a work environment that is safe, comfortable, and inclusive for everyone. And our people are, uh, can you hear the violin? Oh, I do. I was yeah. hearing, hearing the music in the background. Yeah, and you can. Good. Yeah. You could. I could, too. And we, we take great pride in our strong culture and reputation as the best place to work. <laughs> and so this story has been updated to add comment from Zillow contesting specific details of the allegation in Kramer's lawsuit. Well, there you go, folks. Okay. So, on you know, this girl could have really, this, this whole company could have really used the union, you know. Uh, uh, let's see. On a more cheerful note, uh, Chicago to raise the minimum wage to $13 per hour. And that's going to be raised gradually until 2019. When thirteen dollars an hour probably won't be enough. That's ridiculous. Yeah, you know. I mean, you know, why don't they just, 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 just pay it, it now? Pay it now. The people need it now for crying out loud. You know, it's like it's barely enough to get by on anyway. You know? Oh, how about this one? Seven twenty nineteen. Come on. How about this one? Seven giant U.S. corporations pay the CEOs richly while avoiding taxes. Seven of the nation's thirty largest corporations paid their chief executives more than they paid in U.S. federal income taxes in 2013, according to a new study by the Center for Effective Government and the Institute for Policy Studies. Let's see. What else they say here? Our cat is helping us. She likes the union. She <laughs> <laughs> approves of this. She's looking at this article. The seven... The seven companies which reported $74.4 billion in pre-tax income in 2013 avoided paying any federal income taxes last year. If these companies had paid corporate taxes at the full statutory rate of 35%, they would have owed the government $25.9 billion in taxes. The seven companies, Boeing, Ford, Chevron, Citigroup, Verizon, J.P. Morgan, General Motors, paid their CEOs a total of $121 million in 2013. James McNeely, J McNearney, Jr., Boeing CEO, received the biggest pay package. How about this? $23.3 million. Ironically, these companies received $27 billion in subsidies from taxpayers. That makes me sick. The author of the study noted, the study recommended that lawmakers should focus on cracking down on the use of tax havens, eliminating wasteful corporate subsidies, and closing loopholes that encourage companies to pay out excessive executive compensation. I agree with that. Don't you, Leo? Absolutely. I, I've got an article I want to I show you to talk about because um, this, I thought I, I was uh, I 
got I, I had uh, I had read this article on uh, uh, employer compensation, but on on uh, on these high priced paid uh, CEOs, uh, twenty of them, are super high CEOs uh, paid. Now here it is, right here. Um, let's see. It says health insurance company CEOs total compensation in 2013. All right. Now get get this. The Sw- Joseph Swedish WellPoint. Okay, we all know. We've all heard of WellPoint. Mm-hmm. Okay, 17 million dollars, or 49,853 dollars per day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, Stephen Helmsley of United Health Group. He got paid 12.1 million dollars. Okay. Um, $35,484 per day. Wow. Not too many guys get paid that, do they? David Cordiana, Cigna, okay, gets paid $13.5 million. This is what back last year. Uh, Michael Nordoff, Nidor, Nidorov, Nidor. uh, Centene Corporation. I didn't, I've never heard of that. I've never heard either, but they're a health insurance. Yeah. $14.5 million. Mark Bertolini, Aetna, uh, got $30.7 million. Okay. And Bruce Bosard of Humana, he only got $8.8 million. Jeez, must be complaining. <laughs> the average income of all occupations in, um, in uh, 2013, the average income of all occupations in 2013 was $35,000 a year. That's a lot of, all across the board, you know, wow. higher and lower, except for these guys. You know what I mean? It's disgraceful. Isn't that something? You notice there are no women among those high-paid health care. Well, not these health care guys. No, yeah, they're all really good. All you, boys clubs. Did, did we read this last night? I think uh, the... How to Beat the 1%? It. No. Iceland. Okay. No. How to Beat the 1%. Iceland did it. So can we. The bankers jailed, politicians replaced, and no shots were fired. In 2008, citizens forced the resignation of both the Prime Minister and the effective government. That was amazing. Yeah. 2010, the Prime Minister was indicted. Over 200 criminal charges were filed against the bankers, and all of the former CEOs of the three biggest banks were arrested. Others were forced to leave the country. You sure? I thought thought we did this one last night. Well, maybe you did. 2010, I think you're right. An assembly is elected to write a new constitution to avoid entrapments on death. Okay, and uh, 25 citizens are chosen uh, with no political affiliation. The only qualifications for candidacy are adulthood and the support of 30 people. 2010, the main bank of Iceland was nationalized. And in 2010, the new government forgave debt exceeding 110% of home values. Isn't that phenomenal? And they were all doing fine. Yep, totally, absolutely phenomenal. Uh Uh-huh. That's because that's a government for the people. Yeah, by the people and for the people. My friend uh, 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 Steve Willett here, he uh, he's done something over that that is interesting. He says things America can't afford: infrastructure maintenance, uh, pay raises for federal employees since 2009, uh, SNAP assistance for the unemployed teachers, firemen, cops, public education, adequate affordable health care, disaster relief uh, for Hurricane Sandy. Now, this is all that they can't afford. Huh. But what America can afford, okay, was a stealth bomber. Just what we needed. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Mm-hmm. Uh, totally freaking amazing. That is so true. And you know, it's, it's the money we waste. Uh, but I wanted to go back up because there's a couple more things that are really up my nerves today, and uh, let's see, uh, here we go, uh, yeah, here, modern day slave labor, the modernized uh, slave labor, all right, uh, system, now also known as the prison industrial complex, mm-hmm. all right, so it's important to note, folks, that they're shifting over, I mean, not only are they killing you by bringing in immigrants and knocking out your your jobs, but here they're knocking out you. You know, they're they're using prisoners. The United States prison system is not only a machine for mass incarceration, but a machine for modernized slave labor. 
The United States has 5% of the world's population, yet we have 25% of the world's prison population. Land of the free, right? It would seem the statistics say otherwise since the official drug war President Nixon announced in the 70s. Our prison population has grown over 700%. Recent estimates put our prison population to well over 2.4 million inmates. 50% of the federal prison inmates are for, are for nonviolent drug offenses. All the while, 20% of the state prison inmates are drug-related. And let's play this audio piece here. That's Pet V. Pet V. The United States prison system. Can you turn it up? Not only a machine for mass incarceration, but a machine for practically free labor. The United States has 5% of the world's population, but 25% of the world's prison population. Land of the free, right? It would seem the statistics say otherwise. Since the official drug war President Nixon announced in the 70s, our prison population has grown over 700%. Recent estimates put our prison population to well over 2.4 million in. It's the same thing we just read. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was the uh, thing. So just know that that's, that's, the, that's the extent of our system. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Say, other Dutch are keeping drug users safe by treating uh, them as adults. Okay. Want to read that? Yeah, well, they have a more open policy. Yeah, they do. It makes more sense. It's like, you know, we're not preventing people from drinking. Ah. This is from the Washington Post. It says, you will not be arrested for using drugs. What a sane drug policy looks like. Uh, authorities in the Netherlands are warning us at... at Amsterdam. Thank you, Amsterdam tourists, uh, about heroin masquerading as cocaine, which has already killed several people and sent a number of others to the hospital. The campaign is striking because you'd never see one like this in the U.S. Uh, you will not be arrested for using drugs in Amsterdam, the fire promises. Instead, they give for information on how to receive medical assistance and how to keep potential overdose victims alert while wait, waiting for help. The Dutch law distinguishes between soft drugs like marijuana and hard ones like cocaine and heroin. Uh, possession and use of up to five grams of marijuana and one gram of cocaine or heroin is not subject to penalty. In sharp contrast to the U.S., where drugs use has primarily been dealt with as a criminal justice issue, although there are some evidence that this is changing. And the Dutch approach emphasizes harm, re harm reduction and public health. Um, one of the drawbacks of a criminal justice approach is that the threat of harsh sentencing keeps many drug users from seeking medical assistance in the event of an overdose. That's not a concern in the Netherlands. The Dutch approach allows authorities to have a frank dialogue with drug users uh, when new, new dangers arise, like the fake cocaine. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the destigmatization of drug use in the Netherlands also plays a big role in this. Drug users uh, there aren't thought of as criminals, as in the U.S., but rather are normal people engaged in unhealthy behavior. There's a notable lack of moral judgment in the language used in Amsterdam cocaine warnings. Contrast this with the rhetoric employed by these many, many of the opponents of drug law liberalization in the U.S. Some final food for thought. 44% of Americans report having used marijuana in their lifetimes and 14% have used cocaine. In the Netherlands, those numbers stand at 26% and 5%, respectively. So less people use drugs in the Netherlands than per capita than we, mm -hmm. do, than we do. Well, they have a whole different way of looking at it. Yeah, but they don't use it. No. Nope. And don't use it as much as we do. We use it. I don't understand. I don't understand. But anyway. They've taken the rebellion out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway... We're going back. Uh, this, this this made me laugh. This, this really made me laugh. I, I, it made me sick, actually. But I, I have to I have to laugh to get over the sickness feeling. 
White House forms a task force to address police brutality, appoints brutal and abusive cops to lead it. <laughs> this chief has already cost the taxpayers millions in settlements for hundreds of civil rights violations, and now he's supposed to lead a committee to stop civil rights violations. That's hysterical. Well, read this. It won't be done. I have to read this for us. Uh, this week, President Obama gave a speech about police militarization in the light of recent unrest in Ferguson, Missouri, and formed a committee that will supposedly be working to address police corruption and police brutality. However, one of his lead figures in this committee is Philadelphia Police Chief Charles Ramsey, a crooked cop who is notorious for using excessive force and making false arrests. Oh, my yeah. God. Where the hell does he get these guys? You I know? mean, you'd have to look deep and hard for something like that. <laughs> yeah. If the president's idea of reforming policing practice includes mass false arrest, brutality, and eviscerating civil rights, then Ramsey is his man. That's Charles Ramsey's legacy in D.C. Obama should immediately rescind his appointment of Commissioner Ramsey, who is a mass violator of civil rights and civil liberties. Mara Verheiden Hilliard, executive, executive director of the Partnership for Civil Justice Fund, said in a recent statement. Before his stay in Philadelphia, Ramsey was the police chief in D.C. for a number of years, where he oversaw many violent arrests and mass detainments during the regularly occurring protests that take place in the city. Police accountability activists have had a number of strong criticisms about Obama's remarks this week, namely his refusal to curtail the Pentagon's highly unpopular 1033 program, which has armed local police departments with expensive high-tech military gear. Instead of taking money and equipment away from these agencies, the government is now seeking to grant them larger budgets So, as a so-called solution to the problem of police brutality, I don't get yeah, that. Yeah, this guy wants to kill everybody. I mean, well, this this guy, this this guy's unbelievable. Obama's no, he's he, he's starting race wars and he's and then he's he's funding uh, uh, squads, the uh, SWAT teams, you know, to kill them all, riot squads. Press Secretary John Ernst said this week that programs have been useful for the government, especially last year in Boston's lockdown, which followed the marathon bombing. The press secretary said that instead of getting rid of the police militarization programs altogether, the administration decided that the situation will be handled through oversight and training, whatever that means. Overall, the comments from the White House this week about the case are just promising more of the same. No major change in policy in regards to the militarization of police. The only decent news to come out of the string of press conferences this week is that it seems like a police warm body cameras are going to become more widely implemented. This could give a more objective look into police encounters so long as there's some form of decentralized oversight with the footage. Among the hundreds of millions of dollars worth of equipment that the federal government will be sending to police nationwide after the Ferguson ruling, they will also reportedly be sending $75 million for police warm body cameras. Amazing. Huh? Oh, jeez. Uh, I, I, I just get sick. I really Seven unique sets of twins who defiled the odds. <laughs> uh, All kinds of wonderful things they put at the bottom of this. What happens when you take a testosterone supplement? Uh, makes you go crazy. I guess so. Uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, getting off, off topic here. Yeah, they stick all these little tantalizing pictures at the bottom of these articles, and then you forget what you're talking about. You get pulled away into the land of Nod. Here's something that's kind of really sad, very sad, but deals with jobs for veterans and so on. Um, 1,900 veterans committed suicide in 2014. Oh, dear. Yeah. It's GOP, cut health care, education, Jobs for Veterans, 2014. Imagine that. Imagine that. Yeah, That's they, really sad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what the hell? You know, why? 
those are the kinds of things that unions are fighting against. Uh, you know, this guy is guess, guess who's going who's going to be the House chair, the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee now. Who's that? Ryan. Oh my God. Paul Ryan. Imagine that son of a big being being the, the being the chairman. House Ways and Means. That's one of the most powerful he, positions. I wouldn't think he would have that seniority. Uh, or how he bought that position, because you have to buy it. You have to buy it. Where did he get the money for that? Oh, the Tea Party is, man. The Koch brothers. Oh, they gave him the money. So they purchased it, because you have to buy that position, friends, if you don't know. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you really do. Uh, you know, all those positions that you bought. Anybody out there who sends me games, I hate games. I hate them so much, you don't even know. Never, ever, please never send me a, a, a stupid game. It's just this. Oh, I hate this. Please. Yeah, I, I can't even get, get out, out of, of this there. stupid thing. Yes, the system is rigged. Well, I just read oh, that. you read that. Yeah, I just, I just read Oh, you went up, don't went back. Uh. Yeah, no, I, I, the, the, the thing just popped oh, up. There's a plan to seize public lands. What's that all about? Yes, I wanted to read that. Um, Utah's insanely expensive plan to seize public lands. Yeah. Utah. Uh, uh, land of uh, 20 kids per family. A study released Monday by his researchers of three Utah universities found that transferring national forests and other public lands to the state of Utah would cost taxpayers at least $280 million per year, a price tag that could only be paid if the state were able to increase drilling and mining, seize energy royalty payments, and are owed to the U.S. government, and if energy prices remain low, raise taxes to pay for the shortfall. What the hell? The study fulfills a requirement of 200 2012 Utah bill mandating the transfer of over 31 million acres of American public lands to the state of Utah. The study found that in order to raise the needed funds to manage national forests and other public lands, including taking over responsibility for fighting wildfires, the state would need to pursue an aggressive approach to managing the mineral lease programs that would only be profitable for the state if oil and gas prices remain stable and high. So, I think I think what this is is they're trying to the the, the the thought came to them, but now that gas prices are are falling and oil prices are falling, they're not going to make any money. They're going to lose money, so they don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. Sportsmen's fears of losing important fish and game habitat would become reality because ramped up drilling and mining on public lands would be necessary to finance a wrong-headed scheme. You, uh, even then, there's no way Utah could afford to manage all those lands, so taxpayers would end up paying more for fewer services in countryside that's supporting hunting, fishing, and the rest of Utah's $12 billion outdoor recreation economy would be damaged, closed off, or sold to the highest bidder. Utah's bill passed on March 12, uh, 2012, mandated a transfer of American lands to the State Department on uh, December 31, 2014. Despite plans to sue the federal government for ownership, Attorney General uh, Son Reyes told the State Commission on the Stewardship of Public Lands in August that he would not be ready to file a lawsuit by the deadline and that he had yet chosen a legal strategy to pursue. Huh. They're, they're not going to do it. It's going to cost too much money. Yeah. Sounded like a good idea when it happened, right? Mm-hmm. This doesn't really have anything to do with, um, with unions, but... It's kind of I, I wanted since uh, I wanted to kind of pass this on because it came up today, and uh, very 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 interesting and uh, common dreams. The U.S. calls for Israel to renounce UN rather sorry. The UN calls for Israel to renounce its nuclear weapons. Isn't that interesting? Huh? Yeah. Resolution urging Israel to sign onto the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty passed General Assembly in landslide vote. Oh, I thought we didn't sign that treaty. Doesn't matter. We, you know, it passed in a landslide vote. The United Nations General Assembly overwhelmingly passed a resolution on Tuesday demanding that Israel renounce possession of nuclear weapons and open its arms to global regulation. The measure, which is non-binding, was approved. 
non-binding. Uh-huh. Ellen 61 to 5 with the United States, Canada, Paolo. Paolo. I never Micronesia. Paolo in Micronesia. <laughs> and Israel voting no. <laughs> God. And 18 countries of state. It's almost absurd. Israel is yeah. the only Middle Eastern country that refuses to sign the treaty on the non-proliferation of nuclear weapons, with India, Pakistan, and North Korea also declining. While Israel does not publicly acknowledge its nuclear arsenal, its existence is widely known. A report released by the Stockholm International Peace Research Institute this summer found that Israel unlawfully owns 80 nuclear warheads, making it the only Middle East nuclear power. Introduced by Egypt, the resolution calls for Israel to accede to the non-proliferation treaty without further delay, not to develop, produce, or test, otherwise acquire nuclear weapons to renounce possession of nuclear weapons. It also urges the state to subject itself to regulation by the International Atomic Energy Agency of the UN. Well, don't you think the... uh, they should send international people there to cover their nuclear weapons and close and their plants like they've done to everyone else. Why I aren't mean, they doing it to them? They won't let Iran get it. They won't let mm-hmm. anybody else get it. And they won't, you know, but they let these guys have it. And you know, <laughs> which they stole all that stuff from us. And we gave it to them, but they also stole most of it from us. All right, and uh, they got more spies in our country than any other country in the world. Um, and uh, uh, and our spies are running with dual citizenship. Yeah. Uh, uh, Government arresting people for anti-Obama yes, Facebook. Yes, oh. this is frightening, huh? Huh. Yeah. Uh, so be careful what you say, folks. Yeah. It's too late for me. Yeah. Uh, but you might you might be careful. Well, I. I don't know what the people are saying. They might, they might be making threats. President Obama ratings. This article will make you angry. The U.S. government is actually seeking those who criticize government, specifically Barack Obama, and arresting them without charging them. They are remanded to mental health institutions where they are given training on how to build, review the world. Does this <laughs> remind you a little of the little book that George Orwell wrote? It gets worse. In four years since the start of Operation Vigilant Eagle, <laughs> I never even got, heard of it. I didn't either. The government has steadily ramped up its campaign to silence dissidents, especially those with military backgrounds. Coupled with the DHS dual reports on right-wing and left-wing extremism, which broadly defines extremists as individuals and groups that are mainly anti-government, rejecting federal authority in favor of state or local authority or rejecting government authority entirely. These tactics have bodied ill no, for, voted ill voted ill for anyone seen as opposing the government. One particularly troubling mental health label being applied to veterans and others who challenge the status quo is oppositional defiance disorder. As journalist Anthony Martin explains, an ODD diagnosis denotes that the person exhibits symptoms such as the questioning of authority, the refusal to follow directions, stubbornness, the unwillingness to go along with the crowd, and the practice of disobeying or ignoring orders. Persons may also receive such a label if they are considered free thinkers, nonconformists, or individuals who are suspicious of large centralized government. At one time, they accepted protocol among mental health professionals was to reserve the diagnosis of oppositional defiance disorder for children or adolescents who exhibited uncontrollable defiance toward their parents and teachers. The case of a 26-year-old decorated Marine, Brandon Rowe, Rowe, who was targeted because of his Facebook post, uh, I can't even say the word, Interrogated, interrogated, I couldn't even say it, interrogated by government, by government agents about his views on government corruption, arrested with no warning, labeled mentally ill for 
subscribing to so-called conspiratorial views about the government, detained against his will in the psych ward for standing by his views, and isolated from his family, friends, and attorneys, is a prime example of the government's war on veterans. That's very scary. Oh, that's scared to death of vets. The vets know how to fight.
Well, basically, Operation Vision of Eagle is a program that was put into effect by the Department of Homeland Security right after Jensen Hall-Connell issued two memos, right-wing extremism, left-wing extremism. In the right-wing extremism memos, veterans were actually mentioned, returning veterans, as being people who needed to be watched because they were anti-government. When I read those memos, the first thing I thought was, oh, my, <laughs> I'm guilty of it, too. Anybody would be an extremist if you, if you disagree with the, the Obama administration. So that's what Operation Vigilant Eagle is. It, it's a way to they want to do surveillance on returning veterans, watch them, and if they get out of control, basically, anti-government sentiment, they can be investigated and possibly civilly committed to mental institutions. So are you saying that the U.S. government is targeting veterans as possible extremists? Oh, yeah, they say it. If you read the right-wing extremism memo, I wrote a commentary on it on our website, Rutherford.org. You can read that. But, yeah, it was very clear. Veterans were actually mentioned as possible extremists. And I read the memo, actually, the word extremist and terrorist were used interchangeably. So you could come to the conclusion that you could be a terrorist or be, be a returning veteran like Brandon Robb, and he's very vocal about how he disagrees with the government. You're an extremist and maybe a terrorist. Now, as you have mentioned earlier, since coming to Brandon's defense, I understand that you've had a lot of other veterans come and reach out to your organization and speak about similar experiences. Would you say that this is a common occurrence or just a few exceptions? No, it's a common occurrence. In fact, we recently had a fellow who emailed us about some things going on, secret training exercises, and uh, the next day the National Security Agency showed up and threatened to deport him. He came into my office weeping. So this is very intimidating. Uh, and it makes me angry. Uh, we don't want to go around intimidating. If we're going to send people overseas to fight these wars, we don't want to treat them like criminals when they return. And that's the purpose of this lawsuit, basically, to help Brandon, but also to help the vets get the government off their back. John, I hope my viewers understand. Why target veterans? What could this have possibly done? What were they going for in your client's case? I think there's a government paranoia. The question is, why is the uh, Homeland Security Department of Homeland Security buys 450 million rounds of hollow point bullets. We don't know. But there is a paranoia with the government now. Vets, they think, maybe could actually really resist. And, but most of the vets I talk to, they don't want to get guns and resist. They just, they, they've been overseas. They've seen something they don't like. A lot of them don't like the drone strikes and all the things you're seeing. And they come back and they're very upset. And they want to get very, very vocal. And Brandon Robb happens to be one of those kind of vets. Well, please keep us updated on this case as well as, well as uh, future cases that come up. John Whitehead, constitutional attorney at the Rutherford Institute. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. That, that kind of tells you what's going on here. It's, it's a little really, bit scary. Really, yeah. Um, but it's really, it's really kind of funny. Well, then the government must be afraid that these deaths will band together and with the military training are, are real threats. Well, maybe the government should look into what they're doing wrong if there's so many of them that they have to pass a law that they're scared. Legalization of medical marijuana in no uncertain terms. 
terms of making this legal for medicinal purposes, yes, and there are both very pragmatic reasons and more subjective reasons for that, Gupta said. This, this is an interesting article because he, had, he added that federal legalization of medical cannabis should happen if for no other reason than to address the ridiculousness of the refugee situation in Colorado. This refugee situation is that is developing, I thought it would be a bit uh, apocryphal. I want to uh, make sure I wasn't being led down the false path, but I met with these people, with these families, and it's real, Gupta said, of the hundreds of families who have uprooted themselves and moved to Colorado to take advantage of the state's permissive medical marijuana laws. He said the patients who moved to Colorado feel compelled to stay because using their medicine uh, using their medicine across state lines could land them in prison. Are you really going to arrest a person for taking their medicine back to their state, Gupta said? This is not the society I think most people would think we are, and yet it's absolutely happening. It's heartbreaking. Many of those families come to Colorado seeking one medical cannabis strain in particular, giving a high profile in Gupta's weed documentary for CNN in 2013 called the Charlotte Web, the strain is high cannabidoidal, low THC medical variety of cannabis that the nonprofit medical marijuana group Realm of Caring has used to treat more than 300 patients to date. Seven-year-old Charlotte Figgy, for whom the strain was named, used to suffer from hundreds of seizures a week. She was the first child in Colorado to do to be legally treated with cannabis since medical marijuana was decriminalized. Charlotte's recovery has been miraculous, her mother Paige Figgy told the Huffington Post. She's she's getting a redo of all those years she was robbed by epilepsy, Paige said. The idea that people are able to get their cannabis medicine in one state but not another defies some of the core principles of our medical system which strives for an equality of health care in terms of options, says Gupta. Last week, Gupta wrote a passionate op-ed for CNN um, reaffirming his position on the benefits of medical marijuana. He says, I am more convinced than ever that it is irresponsible to not provide the best care we can, care that often may involve marijuana, Gupta wrote. I am not backing down on medical marijuana. I am doubling down. It was a reiteration of a column Gupta wrote last year in which he admitted he'd changed his mind on weed, apologizing for his earlier dismissal of the drug for medical use. Said Gupta's piece was shared more than by by more than half a million times on on Facebook, and his documentary Weed uh, caused reverberations at the national level. His opinion on this subject captures so many people's attention. Uh, not just because he is one of cable news' most recognizable personalities, but because he is also President Barack Obama's first choice to be Surgeon General oh. when Obama took office in 2009. <laughs> okay. When asked why he felt the need to write a follow-up a column just eight months after his initial piece, Gupta said that such much of it boils down to science and the strong desire to see patients get wider access to medicine that is, in many cases, the only one that works for him. As as with a lot of things, as you start to dig deeper into something, you want to make sure that it continues to hold up and you're pursuing threads and that they are leading somewhere, Gupta said. What I found with medical marijuana was that as I dug, as, as I dug deeper, that it is really held up, it, that it all really held up. Not only is it real, the mechanisms by which it works are pretty well described and elucidated by a lot of scientists around the world. And the therapeutic benefits have squarely moved out of the realm of anecdotal to science, peer-reviewed science. Mm. It doesn't get sketchier or blurrier or more opaque. It actually becomes clearer as you dig deeper, we've added. So my focus has been on medical marijuana and making it available as a real option to needy patients. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, geez. 20 states, uh, including the District of Columbia, legalized marijuana, uh, medical marijuana, and above a dozen more are considering legalizing it. Um, and the substance remains illegal under federal law and is rated along with LSD and heroin as a <laughs> Schedule One drug. 
ridiculous, huh? that group to strongly reject. It just doesn't meet the criteria for Schedule One, and never did. Schedule One status is why the Obama administration continues to raid medical marijuana dispensaries and prosecute their staff. It also part of the problem scientists have in obtaining cannabis and funding to continue legal research on the drug. Gupta said the U.S. needs a rescheduling system uh, that enables research and makes this medicine available to anyone who needs it, regardless of where they live and with adequate strain. I hope that happens. If you think about this whole story and you substitute it in another medicine other than marijuana into the exact same story, it would be an outrage. People would be up in arms about it, Gupta said, referring to the federal government's raids of state legal medical marijuana dispensaries. It files in the flies in the face of what I think many state and federal politicians have telegraphed in terms of the fact that they wouldn't behave this way on this issue, and yet it's still happening. Hmm. For me, the real problem is at the end of the day, it is, of course, terrible that the, of course, terrible that these guys are going to prison. But that's exacerbated by the patients out there now that aren't able to get what they need because of it. And historically, Gupta said, there's a real danger when ideology takes precedence over hard science, and he believes that that's what is ripening now with medical cannabis. His hypocrisy, this hypocrisy conjures up for me what I was, what, when I was in medical school, some of our first lessons which revolved around when politics or religion trumped science and how dangerous that was, Luther said. And I think that's what's happening here. You have politics triumphing, trumping science. Mm-hmm. In past situations, it may have been the position of the earth and the universe, but now it's real people, their lives, their illnesses in the middle of this. It's incredibly sad. So, you know. That's quite an article. Yeah. I, I agree. I think it needs to be open and people need yeah. to use it. There is a, there's a connection to, to his uh, um, weed. Weed. He's got weed one and weed two. <laughs> Cannabis Madness by Dr. Sanja Uta reports. Uh, it's from CNN, but it's a documentary that he did. Right. So, anyway. So, we're just about the end of our show. Okay. And, wow. Uh, big that one was. Huh. Hey. Yep. Look at this lady. About seven hundred pound woman. Oh, I don't like looking at things, Leo. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Oh, anyway. What a horrible thing to be distracted by! It's bad enough that people can't get medical marijuana when they need it. I know. I mean, it's ridiculous, and they have all these different laws in all these different states with nothing consistent. It's just silly. I mean, come on, give up the ghost. Let's move forward. You know, stop preventing people from getting the medical treatment that you that we all know is best for them. Don't tell me, but we've come right to the end of our show anyway. Yeah, yeah. So we're there, and I'm out of here. Well, Leo, he gets he gets snagged up in all uh, these little advertisements. But anyway. I hope you enjoyed the show, and are you having a show tomorrow night? Uh, Possibly, I think so. So check to see if Leo is yeah, having we'll be, a show tomorrow. Yeah, we should be here tomorrow night at Transdimensional Radio, and we will be talking to you tomorrow. So have a good night, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Good night, folks. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.